Good morning to you. Some of you I know, some of you I don't. Part of that is some of you I've met before and my memory's just not so good now, you know, but uh, others of you I just haven't met before. And if I have met you before and I look like I haven't met you before and I look dreadfully forgetful that I'm really, really sorry. Um, I will press through the 50 barrier myself, um, not as in numbers of people gathered, but age later on. And I'm blaming a lot of my loss of memory now on kind of middle-aged kind of thing. Terry Wogan, I think, once said that the, the middle-aged chat-up line was, do I come here often? And, yeah, I just... just uh, well, <laughs> I have been here before. Not to actually this hall, but I have been to this church before, and it's been really, really good to get to know some of you guys. Uh, For the benefit of those of you who are new, or you may be visiting for the first time here today, uh, my name is Bill. Actually, my proper name is William, as my mother would tell me, Um, but most people call me Bill. Uh, I live in Worcester. I'm married to Rachel, and we have three children, two of whom are now married. And uh, it's my great joy and privilege to be able to be with you this morning. And I wanted to just give you a brief overview of where we go from here. To some degree, that plan is open to change. Now, when I was young, I used to watch Stingray. Now, I mean, how many closet Stingray watchers do we have here? Oh, go on. There we go. There we go. Stingray, you may well know, started off with boom, ba boom, boom, you know, the, the drum thing. And then they had that classic line, anything can happen in the next half hour. Oh, I like that. And the thing with God is actually anything can happen. Who knows? And so I don't want to come with my game plan saying, okay, Lord, do you see this list? You know, just keep to time, keep to order. Thank you. God can interrupt and do whatever he wants to do. However, roughly speaking, what I think will be happening will be this. I'm going to chat just a few minutes about the whole aspect of physical healing and mental healing and what God can do in that area. And then we're going to pray for the sick. And then I'm going to explain a little bit about who Jesus is and why he does this kind of stuff. So is that okay? Everybody happy with that? Yeah, good. Well, even if you're not, that's what we're going to do. So there we go. Right. Uh, Basically, you may be here this morning, and some of this stuff might be a little strange to you. And you might not really be familiar with the concept of a God who heals. You might not actually be familiar with the concept of a God at all. But what we believe as Christians is that there is a God who loves us and is passionately concerned for us and wants to be involved in our lives at a very deep level. Part of that concern is shown by the fact that God heals sick people. Jesus did it many, many years ago. And he said that anyone who believes in me will do the same things that I have been doing. And he'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, I think that's a pretty cool promise because Jesus did some pretty amazing things. People who came to him were healed and they were set free. Now, I'm not a faith healer. If you're coming here this morning thinking, yeah, we're going to see a healer, I I cannot heal a bean, which as there are no beans here, that's not actually a... At least I don't think we've got any beans here. But uh, the fact is, that has been. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I, I am not a healer in that sense. This is not faith healing. Now, faith plays a part in it because we believe in Jesus who does the healing. So we're putting our faith and our trust in him. And actually, there were a couple of followers of Jesus called Peter and John. And this was after Jesus had been executed on the cross, but then he'd come back to life again. And he said to his disciples, I'm going to send you something that will give you the power to keep on doing what I've been doing. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And Jesus ascended into heaven, and Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. And there was a guy there who had been crippled for years. And he was well known in the area because he used to beg for alms regularly at that spot. And Peter and John went past him 
And Peter felt something from God and he looked at him and he said, look at us. And the man looked at him as if he, he was expecting to receive something. And it says that Peter reached down, grabbed hold of him and lifted him up. And he said, as he lifted him up, his feet and ankles became strong. And he said, you know, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the guy, obviously, having not walked in 40 years, was rather pleased, walked over to Peter and said, thank you so much for that. God bless you, and walked on his way. Now, actually, he didn't. He was really, the Bible says that he was jumping, he was shouting, he was praying. You can imagine, can't you? You can't walk. You haven't walked for 40 years. Suddenly, it's, whoa, I can walk. Whoa, whoa. Now, obviously, this kind of gathers a bit of a crowd as people are thinking, oh, that looks a bit like the bloke who used to bet. There's a huge crowd gathers, and Peter explains what's happening. He's saying, men of Israel... Why are you looking at us? First of all, he says something which I think quite interesting. He says, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? It's like, well, yeah, Peter, that's an everyday occurrence. Blind, you know, a, a beggar who's been begging there for 40 years, he's suddenly up jumping around. Yeah, that's something we see every day. But you see, Peter had been with Jesus, knew the power of God that was with him. And so that wasn't actually a surprising thing. But he's saying, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? And why are you looking at us if it's through our own power and godliness that we made this man walk? No. It's through faith in the name of Jesus that this man stands before you completely well. And that's our starting point this morning. That when we're going to pray for the sick, it's faith in the name of Jesus that will make people free. And it's not me. Certainly not him. Him. It's nothing wrong with Nigel, of course, but you know, just we can't take any credit. In the same way, you can't blame us if anything goes wrong. So, ah, not that we're expecting any of that. It is my great privilege to travel around to a number of different churches to do this kind of thing, and I have seen some incredible things that God has done. And I don't say that to blow my own trumpet, because as I said, it's faith in Jesus. He does the stuff. And what what I'm going to do is, in a couple of moments, I'm going to ask us to stand, and I'm going to pray just a general prayer for God to heal people right where you are. And it might well be that God heals you instantly. And... I've been in meetings where God has healed people instantly and they've known that they've been freed from their suffering. Sometimes it's been when I've prayed. Other times, they haven't actually been healed when I've prayed, but I've prayed for them after I've spoken and they've been healed. Or somebody else prayed for them afterwards and they've been healed. Why God didn't actually do it during that general prayer, I don't know. But I kind of work this way. He's the boss. I just kind of, yeah, he does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. I'm not laying down rules that God, fo- that God has to follow. God does what he wants to do. But actually, he wants to heal some people here this morning. And I've got some particular conditions as well that we felt that God spoke that said he wants to heal today. And after we've done the general prayer, if you've got any of these conditions and you feel that you'd like to take your carriage in both hands and you'd like to make your way to the front, we would love to pray for you specifically about those conditions. Now, one or two of them are a little personal, and so if you don't feel that you want to come forward, but you want to talk to somebody afterwards, that is more than okay. One or two of them actually came through the wonders of modern technology. It's not that suddenly God started sending me texts and emails on my BlackBerry, um, But my wife, who sends her apologies and would love to have been here today, whenever we don't travel together, she is prone to every now and again send me some words of knowledge over over email and text, um, just to kind of say, hey, I was praying for you this morning and felt that God wanted to heal some stuff. This is still a team effort, even if, so you can't see her, but she's still taking a part. It's a bit like that with Jesus, you can't see him, but he's still taking part. In case you think this is a bit wild, weird and wacky, I was in Southfields in London last year, and Rachel sent me this, uh, this thing about a guy with a hip and back problem, but caused by trauma. And in the uh, congregation that day was a young guy from South Africa 
who had been asking God. Now, about three years before, he'd been involved in a car accident that had caused trauma to his back and his hip, and he was living with constant pain. And he'd begun to ask the question, God, are you there? Can you heal me? He turns up at Southfield's Baptist Church, where a bloke from Worcester who's never met him before is reading out a text message from his wife, who he, that other guy, has then certainly never seen, like never heard before. And this God, who he's prayed to, saying, God, if you're there, can you heal me, suddenly reveals to a woman in Worcester, there is going to be a man at this meeting suffering from hip and back trauma, and I want to heal him. So when I read this thing out, there is somebody here with back and hip trauma. This young man was understandably a little emotional. Came to the front, we laid hands on him, he was healed instantly. Now he was considerably impressed. I think I was even more impressed. Now, and there was another guy there, in fact actually was the church leader, and I had a word for somebody who had a, a problem with their right knee. And I prayed for him. Now the thing with, uh, with Robert... His knee problem was an intermittent thing, so he wasn't actually in pain there and then. So I laid hands on him, couldn't say, is there any difference? And he said, well, I don't know. But normally, I love walking, and if I walk for any distance, it gives me real problems. And he said, naturally, we're going for a bit of a holiday in the Brecon Beacons walking coming up. So, and then we've got our silver wedding coming up, and we've got this trip to Yosemite, and we're going to claim, climb this mountain. And so I was really concerned about my knee. So I laid hands on him, prayed for him. Couldn't tell if there was anything different. And for some of you, you won't be able to tell. You'll just have to check it out. But he sent me an email afterwards saying, been walking in the Brecon Beacons, no problem with the knee. And then a few months later, he sent me some photographs. And one of them, I think the mountain is called Half Dome. He sent me a photograph of this mountain. And it's so steep, they've put ropes for you to kind of, I mean, I wouldn't want to do it even with a decent leg. And then he sent me, and the other photograph was him and his wife beaming, stood on top of this mountain. He said, made it to the top of the mountain. No pain since. Please keep praying for the sick. I thought, that is just so, so encouraging. And you might think, yeah, but, you know, kind of, have I got a sign on the dotted line? Have I got, no, this is all because God is gracious and loves us. And in fact, actually, I was at a church in Telford a while ago. And about a year on, last year, went back again. And one of the ladies in the church said, my friend came with me to that meeting that you preached at a year ago, and she'd been suffering from chronic depression for years. And she said she was instantly set free and healed on that day, and she's been free ever since. Not been back to church, not become a Christian, but free of depression. Totally free for a year. And as far as I'm aware, because I see the guys, she's still free of depression and still not going to the church. So you kind of think, well, it's, you know, it, it, this is an unconditional offer, guys. This is not, well, you know, kind of if you come on our course at Costa Coffee, you will be healed. It's, there is a free offer. Yeah, I mean, please come to the course at Costa Coffee. And the church is paying for the coffee, so that's a very good thing. But this is just totally free and unconditional. So I'm going to pray now. Now, I'd like to tell you just a, a little bit of a story, and uh, it's about, uh, now, for those of you who are kind of taking notes, thinking, I'm not sure on the theology of this, it's actually a joke, so, you know, just in case, just in case you're thinking, I, I just really am not too sure whether or not you're sound at this point, I'd like to point, this is not theology, this is, this is a joke, which is also a little cute, if you'd like to kind of like me, make me feel welcome friendly, you can laugh at the end of it, so... Um, there's a guy who goes to the pearly gates. There's no you're thinking, yeah, dodgy ground already. You know, and um, he meets St. Peter at the pearly gates. And St. Peter says, so what have you done that will actually merit you coming into heaven? And the guy says, well, I've, I've tried to live a good life, and I've, I've, I've not mugged anybody, and I've tried to be a good citizen. And St. Peter says, well, to be truthful, you know, I, I probably need something... A little bit more than that. And it's, well, you know, I gave regularly to charity, and I, 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 during Bob a Job Week, I helped a couple of ladies cross the road. And people said, well, you know, I, I really am going to need something a little bit more concrete. He said, well, I did once 
save an old lady from being mugged by a gang of hell's angels. And Peter says, now this sounds interesting. Start, tell me more. This could be what I'm after. And he said, well, I came out of the supermarket and there was a lady and there was a, a biker gang and they were big and tattoos and beard and you know, pot bellies and leather jackets. And they were, they, were, they were trying to take this person, this old lady, shopping. And St. Peter says, now this sounds good. And you say, you rescued her. What did you do? And he said, well, what I did was I went to the, the ringleader who was holding her purse, snatched the purse back out of his hand, gave it to the old lady. I stood between the old lady and the, the ringleader. And I started saying, now look here, you can't do that. You leave that old lady alone. You should be ashamed of you. There's, there's a gang of you picking on this defenseless old lady. You leave her alone. I'm not leaving till you leave her alone. And St. Peter said, that's fantastic. Fantastic! How long ago was that? So about ten minutes ago. <laughs> so the thing is, with a lot of jokes that kind of relate, there's 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 a, there's a kind of whole theology of works that kind of. Okay, right, fine. We can put up subtitles if you want. The, other, the following joke will contain subtitles for the heart of humour. However, <laughs> sorry. Oh, God. Anyway, there we go. I, no, I, no, I can't launch into a Wolverhampton accent personation. I want my dinner afterwards. So, um, the, yes. Anyway, so the thing is, there are a number of jokes around. You'll have heard them. And a lot of them uh, relate around a whole theology of works, you know, whether or not you're good enough to get into heaven. And I remember a number of years ago, I listened to an album by Max Boyce. Now, I don't know, is it just in the... Uh, uh, okay, no, I don't know. Is, is it safe to mention Max Boyce in North Wales? I, I, I don't know. But, yeah, yeah, okay. but, uh, but you're from South Wales anyway. So that's okay. But anyway, I was listening to this album by Max Boyce. And um, the, uh, the song was called The Devil's Marking Me. I don't know if any of you have heard of that. But there's a line in the song that says this, and even as an Englishman, I appreciate this. And it said, we'd play the heaven. And it's, it's basically about um, being in heaven and playing rugby. And there's this rugby match. And Max Boyce discovers that the devil is on the opposing team and the devil's marking him. But there's a line in the song that says, we'd play the heavens English if they could only raise a team. And yeah, kind of, yeah, the, 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 the kind of the joke is that is that actually there probably aren't going to be even 15 Englishmen in, in heaven to be able to raise a team to play rugby because the English are so awfully bad. And the thing is, we can often get this idea in our head that heaven is for the good people. That heaven and eternal life is for the people who haven't mugged anybody, who've tried to pay their taxes, who've dotted their I's, crossed their T's, minded their P's and Q's, and tried to be rather well-behaved in life. And if at the end of the day that the good you've done somehow outweighs the bad, then you might get in. And that's how a lot of people perceive the Christian faith. But there is a verse in the Bible, and it says this. It says, For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And I want to talk to you this morning about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And grace is a very, it's a generous word. Now, we often think when we hear the term grace, sometimes it's about poise and elegance. Now, in this context, it's not about poise and elegance. We're not saying, oh, look at Jesus. You know, doesn't he walk well? Doesn't he carry himself nicely? It's, you know, it's full of grace. It's not the, when we talk about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not like that. Grace, when we're talking about how it's mentioned in the Bible here, refers to God's undeserved favor. And somebody once said that it's, it's like grace and mercy are two flip sides of the same coin, like heads and tails. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. Whereas the flip side is mercy, which is not getting what you do deserve. Now, when we talk about getting what you don't deserve and getting something for free, 
sometimes we have a little bit of an inbuilt cynicism and doubt. You know, people will say to you, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And yeah, so we have this kind of inbuilt cynicism where we think, what's the catch? Which is a bit strange, really, because on the other hand, we say, never look a gift horse in the mouth. You kind of think, oh, we're some kind of like strange people where we think, oh, there's no such thing as a free lunch, but never look a gift horse in the mouth. But it kind of affects the way, and I can understand that in a way, because I used to work for a company, and they changed the mobile phone contracts. Now, I didn't have a company mobile phone, but when they changed the mobile phone contract over from one company to another, the, the network that they'd moved to put on a road show at the office. And obviously, the kind of thing that they were doing was to look to help people who had company mobile phones to get the most out of the network. But what they were also looking to do was to get a little bit more business. So what they were doing is, I, I wandered out, and there was this lady there, and she was showing me this mobile phone that did everything. Well, at the time, it's like kind of it's really, really inferior compared to what phones do now. But at the time, it's like, whoa, it plays tunes. It doesn't just go beep. It, you, know, it, and it, you can take pictures with it. Whoa. And she said, we're doing a free draw for a free phone. Would you like to enter? And I thought, well, okay, it's a free draw. Why not? So I was thinking, yes, never look a gift horse in the mouth. I'll enter the free draw. A few days later, I come out of the office, and the phone went. I answered the call, and she said, is that Mr. Blow? And I said, yes, it is. She said, hi, it's so-and-so from the phone network here. I'm delighted to tell you, you've won a free mobile phone. Now, instead of thinking, wow, a couple of days ago, I entered a free competition for a free mobile phone. I'm going to get one free. I've won. Woo! I kind of thought, ooh, this is a scam. <laughs> They'll be after my bank details. Next time, if I give them my bank details, my bank account will be empty. Oh, dear. Now... There's this poor girl at the other end of the phone who's probably thinking, you know, she's had umpteen jobs to do. She's probably thinking, oh, great. At least this should be good. I've got to ring this bloke up and tell him he's won a free mobile phone. This should be a fun phone call because some phone calls you have to make aren't necessarily going to be fun. And she's probably at the end of the phone thinking this is going to be good. And she gets me at the end of the phone thinking, ooh. And she can probably tell by the tone of my voice, I am not the best excited. <laughs> and so she's saying, you've won a mobile phone. Yeah, okay. And she said, so, yeah, if, if we can have your address, we'll send it to you. And I think, yeah, yeah, sure. Just ask me for the bank details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I can tell you where to go. You know. And so she asked me for my, my, my address. And she said, right, and we'll pop it in the post to you. And it should be with you. If it's not with you tomorrow, it'll be there the day after. And I closed the, the thing on the phone and thought, I've been a total heel. There's this girl, probably thinking, oh, great, I get to tell this bloke he's won a mobile phone, and I've been less than enthusiastic with her. And then a couple of days later, this arrived in the post. And I began to feel really, really guilty. And then I charged it up, and I turned it on, and the moment it connected to the network, they sent me... A picture message, an animated picture message of a cup with a beaming smile on it, you know, not like a teacup, but like a trophy, with two hands that clapped together and with a little bit of background music, it was shaking its hands and said, congratulations, you're a winner. And I felt really bad <laughs> that I turned, I'd, yeah, they made me a wonderful free offer and I got, nah, there's, what's the catch? But it was free. And it may be that you're here today and you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. You've been living in it. You enjoy it. You revel in it. It causes you to hop up and down when you sing. It puts a spring in your step when you get up in the morning. It may well be that you're here this morning and you once knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But actually, now your relationship with God is a little bit like routine. 
and something isn't quite there that once was there in your walk with God. Or it might be here that you're here today and you think you know about the grace of God. You know some things about God. But actually, you've come here this morning you think, well, these people, they seem to know Jesus. It's not just that they come along and go through some religious ritual. Jesus is actually very, very real to them. Or it may be that you're here today and you don't know the grace of God at all and all this is just totally foreign to you. Now, Whatever one of those positions that you're in today, today there is a God in heaven who wants you to know the undeserved favor of God that changes your life spectacularly for the better. And so whatever state you're in, in whatever frame of mind, in whatever spiritual condition you've come this morning, this message is for you. Because you can know, and it's particularly if you're here and you don't know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, today you can know. And in a few minutes when I finish, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to the free offer of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you can surrender your life to Jesus and you can have your life changed forever. And Jesus can do that for you. And that verse goes on, it says... For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, for your sakes became poor. And during one of the songs, and a couple of people prayed this morning, where we talked about the fact that Jesus, before he came to earth, was in existence and was the king of all kings and was the lord of all lords, but there was a specific moment in time and space and history where God became a man in the form of Jesus. Now, when you think about it, actually, Jesus was rich in his person. He was the eternal God. You may well have been to church at Christmas, and one of the verses that is often used in Christmas carol services is the beginning of John's Gospel, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you may have heard that and thought, well, what's this word business? And the word was with God, the word was God. Well, a few verses further on, it explains itself by saying, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And the Bible tells us that that's how Jesus was, that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a wise man. He wasn't just some do-gooder or miracle worker. It says that Jesus was with God and was God. And then he, be- he became man and lived amongst us. He was rich in his position. He was the king of kings, the lord of lords. He was rich in his power. He was omnipotent. He could do any- anything he wanted to do. He was rich in his possessions. He's ruler over all the earth. In fact, another verse in the Bible says, By him all things were created... And it says that all things were created by him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. So you have to ask yourself, when it talks about, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, it says he became poor. You say, well, why would he do that? Why would someone who has all the riches of heaven and earth, rich in his position, rich in his person, rich in his power, rich in his possessions, why would he become poor? Why? Why would he do that? Well, the reason is quite simple. He did it for you. And he did it for me. I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. I have a DVD with me. And you might think, ooh, is it, what's it going to be? Is it the, the latest rom-com? Is it an action thriller? What is it? Well, actually, just imagine with me that this is a special DVD filmed with special technology. Now, I have to stop myself at this point trying to do the This Is Your Life accent because you might recall a program some years ago where Eamon Andrews would surprise celebrities with the red book saying, This is your life. And then various people and various incidents from their life would be related in front of an invited studio audience. And afterwards, they've been given the big red book. Now, 
Imagine that this DVD is this, is your life. But it's actually been filmed with special technology that doesn't just, hasn't just recorded selected excerpts from your life. This has recorded everything. It's recorded everything that you've ever done. It's recorded everything that you've ever said. And it's recorded everything that you've ever thought. Now, I've put 18 on that because obviously I know one or two of you. (laughs) But it might well be that if we were to then say, and next week we're going to show your DVD on the screen. So instead of happy fifth birthday gateway church, we're going to put some stuff in the paper saying, actually, next week we're going to show Nigel Lloyd's DVD. And we're going to put that in the paper. A lot of people might come. Now, if we said to you, next week, we're going to show your DVD, you might think, oh, I'm not sure that I'll be there. Particularly if we said, and what's more, we're going to invite everyone that features in it to come and watch it. Now, the reason one of the two of you are thinking, ooh, is because you know that you've fallen short of your own standards, There is something in your heart that makes you think, there's stuff in my life that I've done that I'm not proud of. And the Bible actually says, you've not just fallen short of your own standards, you've fallen short of God's standard. Because the Bible says that all people, because the thing is, we've all got stuff on our DVD that we wouldn't want anybody else to know about. And the Bible says, actually, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. You see, I'm not talking about the things that you kind of do mistakenly. When I was a young boy, we had a 1960 Ford Poplar 6292TR. Probably the only valuable thing about it now would be the number plate. But when I was younger... Before the days of petrol, locking petrol caps, or actually they were around, but just we didn't have one. Didn't really see the need at the time. We soon got one, as this will become clear. I decided to play filling stations. I was only young. The car was parked in the carport, and I thought, this is a good game. Because I'd seen us take the car to the garage, and someone would come along with the nozzle and fill the car up with petrol. And I thought, that looks like a fun game. I will do that. So I got a fairy liquid bottle that was empty because I had a few of them because, you know, they were good to play in the garden, spray stuff with. So I filled the fairy liquid bottle up with water, pretended I was the petrol pump attendant, took off the filler cap and filled the car up. That was good. It's a good game. Then I went with my mum and we took my gran out shopping. We're in the car. I was in the back. Splutter, 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 splutter. Stop. Because, of course, cars don't run too well on a petrol water mix. Doesn't. Yeah. So the car had to go to the garage. My mum was a bit perplexed. My dad, oh, the car just broke down. Anyway, the report back came from the, manic, uh, from the mechanic. Well, the, the reason it stopped was actually the car was full up with water rather than petrol. And they looked around and said, William. <laughs> Sunday best name used when I'm in trouble. William. I didn't know. I was only small, nobody told me. It wasn't that I thought, ha ha, I know what we'll do. I will sabotage the car with water. I will make it so it stops when Gran is in the car. Ha ha. It wasn't that I was feeling malevolent. No, 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 that was just something. I didn't know any better. And sometimes we do things because we don't know any better. But there's sometimes there's things that we wish that we'd never said. We wish that we'd never done. We wish that we never thought because we knew that the motives weren't brilliant. And the Bible tells us that that word sin, it actually is about, it's about missing the mark. It's an archery term in some ten- senses. And I used to do archery, and I know about missing the mark, because sometimes I'd aim for the target and the arrow wouldn't reach. And sometimes it's a bit like that with God's standard. We try hard, but we just don't reach it. Another way that that word sin is used, it's about stepping 
over the boundary. And I parked at um, the supermarket car park the other day and noticed, Rachel just popped in for something and then we were going on to somebody's house and noticed that I was at the perimeter and there was a, a gap in the, uh, the wall where the, the footpath went through and there was a, one of these trolley parks there. And I noticed on the trolley park, it had a thing saying, these trolleys are fitted with a device, which means that you cannot take them out of the supermarket car park. Now, never in my life had I thought about taking a trolley out of a supermarket car park. Never. But I saw that notice there and thought, I started looking at the trolleys and thought, I wonder what's on them. And inside of me, there was this urge. I wanted to just suddenly get out of the car, get one of these supermarket trolleys, and kind of try and, yeah, just try and get it out of the supermarket, just to see what would happen. Now, I don't go through life thinking, oh, I, just, I want to move supermarket trolleys. But yeah, have you ever seen one of those things that says, keep off the grass? And you weren't even thinking of going on the grass at that point, but you saw the sign and thought, I just, the grass is just looking so green. And there is something in our hearts that just wants to kind of step over that boundary because we've seen something that says no. There's something that kind of, oh. And the Bible, another way that that word sin is used is it talks about there's an inward bias in our hearts, a bit like a bowl sometimes. that They've got, they've got, a, they've got a bias on them. They don't actually roll straight. And there's something in our hearts that makes us want to lean over and go off the track that God intended for us. And the thing is, because there's that attitude in us and that star- there's all that stuff, we're here and we can't quite, and God's here and we, we want to have a, there's something deep inside of us that wants to have a relationship with God because the Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of man, which Billy Graham used to paraphrase, it paraphrases, there's a God-shaped hole inside of everyone. And there's something inside of us that can't quite make sense of, of life because we can't quite relate to God because of all the stuff that's in our heart and in our life. And we can't quite make sense of things because there's a relationship with God that we should have and ought to have, but can't have because there's all this stuff going on in our heart and in our mind. And so we start to reach out for things to give us fulfillment that don't really give us fulfillment when the only true fulfillment comes in knowing Jesus and knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the fact is, we have stuff in our life that prevents us from knowing God and prevents us from having the kind of life that God would have us live. Now, if you think, well, started off as a fun message, but it's getting a bit depressing now, quite frankly, it gets a little bit worse than that. Every month I used to get one of these through the, the post, and if you're close, you can see that it not only has my name and address on it, but it has thank you written on it. It's my, it was my payslip from the company I used to work with at the time. And I used to think it was, yeah, every month when this hit my, uh, my letterbox and hit the map, I used to walk to it and think, oh, they've sent me a thank you note. That's just so kind. It's just so nice. No, I didn't. I used to kind of rip it open and think, how much have they paid me this month? Now they got it right. But the fact is, the Bible says this. It says, when a person works, their wages are credited to them, not as a gift, but as an obligation. You don't work and then expect your boss to come along saying, hey, Rupert, you've done all right this month. Here's a couple of bob for your trouble. You expect to get paid the due rate. But the fact is, the Bible says this, the wages of sin is death. And it says not just physical death, but spiritual death, because it says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that we can all receive what's due to us for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. The trouble is, we know there's stuff on here. So we've got a problem because we know that God is a God of love because we know that you know, just something inside of us knows that God is love. And the Bible says, actually, God is love. So we know that we've got a loving God. But the problem is God is also just and he has to do what's right. He's bound by his own character. And all of us have got that innate sense of justice because God created us in his image. There are some things that we instinctively know that just shouldn't happen. You know, last year when the whole politicians and bankers scandal came out, where, you know, 
particularly with the thing with the politicians and their expenses. People have always kind of disliked, kind of some, been a bit suspicious about politicians, but then kind of bankers made a bit of a bid for the top position in people not liking them, and then politicians decided they'd get their own back with the whole expenses thing. And it wasn't just the fact that some people claimed some staff, because we know that the rules say it and you're allowed to claim it, people will. But it's the fact that sometimes people were claiming things for like mortgages that had been paid off years ago. You think, you, you don't forget stuff like that. And something inside us of us were thinking, and they're going to get away with it. It just isn't right. And sometimes when you see something really abhorrent, something inside you goes, that just isn't right. They need to be called to account. And God is a perfectly just God who feels that so much more intensely and says that just isn't right. And so we have a problem. We have a God who is holy and just and has to punish sin because it's wrong. And we've got a God who loves us and wants to forgive us. And God brings his love and his justice together in the form of Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, For your sakes, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. How did he do that? Well, he doesn't just identify us, identify with us by giving us a a book of rules and saying, follow these and you'll be all right. He doesn't just identify with us by shouting out some helpful suggestions from heaven. He identifies with us by the fact that he came and lived as we were faced every temptation that we face head-on, but yet didn't sin at all, and then being the only human being in history who didn't deserve to die, gave up his life on a cross for you and for me. How much does God love us? Does he love us this much? That much? No, he loves us that much because he brings his love and his justice together in the form of Jesus Christ hanging on a cross for you. And when he was nailed to that cross, having endured rejection, having endured scorn and mockery, hanging naked for hours, he said, Father, it is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. Now, he didn't say it's finished as in I'm done for. That word does mean it is finished, but the colloquial use of it in Greek means the debt is paid in full. A friend of mine was in Greece a few years ago, and he was in a place where he was in a shop, and somebody from the neighborhood came in, handed a wad of drachma over. It's not drachma anymore. Handed a wad of drachma over, and obviously settling a bill, and the shop owner said, tetelestai. Paid in full. So when Jesus, who had no sin, who became sin for us, hung on the cross, said, it is finished, Basically, what he was saying is, it is finished. This actually, it says DVD-R, means it's rewritable. And this is the marvelous thing about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's your DVD that has all of that stuff on that keeps you away from God, that you're embarrassed about and shamed about. If you put your faith in Jesus... If you put your trust in him, if you believe in him, all of that is just wiped away and what is put on that disc instead is all the love, the grace, the mercy and the right living of Jesus. So that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and God replays your DVD figuratively, he just sees all the grace, the glory, the mercy, the innocence and the purity and the God-pleasing life of Jesus. Is it anything to do with what you've done? No. Everything to do with what he's done. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So what do you have to do to get that? Do you have to go to church every Sunday? Do you have to follow the rules in here? Actually, the Bible says... If anyone believes, all you need to do is believe that Jesus did that for you. 
that on his sacrifice on the cross, in his identification with your sin, because you put your faith and your trust in him, you can be identified with his purity and his right living. There's an old song that says this, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. That could be you this morning. Is it any wonder that the next line of the song is praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. You see, I'm going to offer you an invitation now. And it's like this. If you're stood at the train station and you have your ticket in your hand and you've checked the timetable and the voice comes across the tannoy and the train pulls into the station, if you don't get on the train, the train may be going to your destination, but if you don't get on the train, you are not going to get there. You need to get on the train. And Jesus, the Bible says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And all we need to do to get on the train is to say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I've been a sinner. I acknowledge that there's stuff on my DVD that doesn't live up to your standard. I don't know the grace of God like I should. But today, I want to get on the train. That's all you need to do. But obviously, the train is then going to God's destination. So in a sense, you're saying, God, I want to follow you. Because to be frank, where I've been following hasn't led me to any particularly brilliant places anymore. So I'm going to ask you figuratively to get on the train. I'm going to ask you that if you're here And it may well be that you've been to church before. It may well be that you've never been to church before. It may be that you've had some experience of God or no experience of God. But if you've never taken that step of saying, Jesus, I stand before you as a wrongdoer and as a sinner in your sight. I want right now to ask the forgiveness that you earned for me on the cross that I could experience. I'm confessing my sin to you. Would you please forgive my sin today, if you can say that to God and really believe it, you can walk out of this room a different person on the inside. And life will be so much better for you. That's not just me saying that. That is Jesus saying that for you. You can be clean. You can be free from shame, free from guilt. You can sleep at night. Could you stand? I'm just going to ask us now if every head could bow, every eye could be closed. And just right now, this isn't what somebody next to you is thinking of you. This isn't what I'm thinking of you. This isn't to please any individual. Just to be quite honest, whether anybody responds today, and actually I believe there are at least four people here who need to respond to that message. God knows you're here, and it's you and God. Jesus is doing very well indeed. Thank you. His church is doing very well indeed. Thank you very much. This isn't, oh, please, Jesus is feeling a bit needy. Respond to him. This is the eternal God is offering you a get-out-of-jail-free card. In fact, actually, it's a get-out-of-hell-free card. And I would like to offer you the opportunity right now, just as people have their eyes closed, this is between you and God. In a couple of moments, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If having heard this morning, you feel, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want a new life. When you pray that prayer, Bill, I would like you to be including me in that prayer. And don't worry, I'm not going to name you. I'm not going to publicly point to you or anything like that. I would just like you to signify while every eye is closed, 
to God and to me, yeah, I want to join in with that prayer. I've never prayed it before. I'll just acknowledge you and you can put your hand down. But let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. So that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness. And the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life. By your Holy Spirit. To be with me forever. Thank you Lord Jesus. Amen. At the end of the meeting, after we finish the song, um, what I'd like you to do is, if you popped your hand up, um, I would love it if you would just come and uh, have a word with Nigel and Callie after that's Nigel and Callie down the front and make yourself known to them. They have, uh, I'm sure, love to just chat with you for a moment and just talk to you about what you've done. If your numbers three and four are indeed numbers five and six and you've kind of thought, yeah, but... There is stuff here I need to think about. I would just like to encourage you. Don't just wander away and think, yeah, I'll think about it. Come along to Costa Coffee on October the 26th and think about it. Have a cup of coffee. Listen to some of the talks. that will just go through sequentially over six weeks some of the stuff that I've just explained in a short space of time. Examine the evidence Debate it, discuss it, deliberate, and consider it seriously. Bill Shankly once said, football is not a matter of life and death. It's much more serious than that. This is not a matter of life or death. It's much more serious than that. And I would like to encourage you with every fiber of my being, if you are still wondering, come along to Christianity Explored on October the 26th. These are a bunch of fantastic people. They will love you. They will look after you. They will explain to you without any pressure what Jesus has done for them and can do for you and why believing in Jesus is a credible, fantastic thing. Please come. And at the end of the meeting, if you need prayer for healing, love to pray with you. But if you've responded... And even if you didn't put your hand up, if you prayed that prayer, we'd love you at the close of this meeting to come before you do anything else and come to the front and have a word with Nigel and Callie. That would be lovely. Thank you. Phil.